Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your word. We pray that in these few moments, as we sort of huddle around it, that your Holy Spirit would transform our lives by the gospel, that we would have hope only in you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you very much. So it was several months ago that um, I talked with the elders of uh, IGC Indelible Grace Church about preaching a few sermons out of Genesis. And there is absolutely no way I'm not... I'm not good with planning, really, that I could have... I mean, we've had rain this week so much. Like, uh, weather people have been saying it's going to be the worst. And there have been lot, you know, lots of rain. There's been mudslides even in the Bay Area. There's been flooding up in Sacramento. And here today, we're in Genesis talking about Noah and the flood. I mean, I, I couldn't have... There's no way I could have planned any of that the way it is. So today we're going to be looking at Noah a little bit. And, um, and then next week I'll be looking uh, in Genesis at Sarah and Abraham. Uh, and then lastly, at the end of this month, I'm going to be looking at, in Genesis, the life of Joseph. Uh, and then in February, there'll be a new series that Wade and I will be doing together. So just to give you a heads up of what's coming, um, I wanted you to know that. So Genesis is the beginning of this human project that God enacts, and uh, he's going to be faithful to keep it. Uh, One of the things I wanted to share, though, before we look at some of the things that I wanted to say about this text, and we can gather around it together. As I said, we come to worship the Lord and gather around his word together. But, you know, I was saying I'm not a good planner when it comes to here we're looking at the flood, and there have been floods um, already. I, I couldn't plan that. But also, I'm not really clever enough or... Um, funny enough, I think, to, to do anything well with preaching. But I know this, my burden uh, as a leader in this church for the time being, uh, pastoring with Wade and serving with the other leaders, is that you would never come to church and then, well, no, that you would come to church, that you w- would not leave church on Sunday hoping in anything else but Jesus Christ. That he is your only hope in this life. Um, and in the one to come, he is our only hope. And, you know, I, I forget the gospel because I think I already know it. Um, it's not intuitive to us. The good news of what Jesus has done for you and me, it's not intuitive. Uh, we fight against it in our humanness, um, in our fallenness, as Genesis 3, so we fell to, all together. And so my hope is that you would leave today hoping in Christ. Um, that you wouldn't be confident in your own strength. In, in fact, um, as I read commentaries about Noah in, in Genesis, you know, the tendency, it seems, in a lot of the commentaries were these things. That, that Noah teaches us, Noah's story and his family teaches us that obedience leads to salvation and disobedience leads to a flood of judgment. That's what most commentaries that I was looking at said. And... Okay, uh, I'm not going to go against commentaries. I'm I'm not uh, I don't I don't I'm not published in that way, so I can't. However, when I was reading those things that Noah, the story of Noah's uh, experience in the flood, obedience equals salvation. Disobedience means there'll be a flood of judgment. That brings no life to my heart. It may be true about the text. It may be yes, obedience to God in following Jesus will bring salvation into your life. Yes. Disobedience has consequences. Disobeying God has consequences in this life. Yes, absolutely. And, and Noah does teach that. But it doesn't really bring life to me. It's not really the gospel. I mean, some of the other tendencies that we have when we look at Noah, 
is God is angry, so we better behave ourselves. Right? He's an angry God. He'll bring a flood, even though he's promised not to do it again. He, you know, he's angry. We need to behave ourselves. And church, I think, at least in my generation, is a lot about behavior modification. You need to behave because God will get you if you don't. And that's our tendency as humans to sort of push that behaviorism. You know, Noah was good. And so, right, the the scripture says Noah was good. He was a righteous man. So I better be good too. Or God will flood me in some way. These moral lessons um, come up a lot in commentaries. And again, I'm not saying that they're wrong. I'm saying the gospel is more. And I think the gospel from Noah, from Genesis, if if the Holy Spirit is who he is and we know he is, he's going to bring life from the gospel. And just being told to obey or just being told that you'll be in trouble if you disobey does not bring life to your heart and mind. And so what does this flood account, this Noah, his wife, his kids, closed up in an ark with animals, what does it have to do with us today? And even though the rains have come this week, how, how can we get life um, in the gospel? So one of the things that I talked about at the very beginning of this series in Genesis, at the very beginning of Genesis, the preamble to all the creation that God did was that he was hovering in his love over the depths, the void, even before he created us. So before we had the chance to show him how great we are or how bad we are, God was hovering in his love his creational uh, power and majesty and love. So that's one of the overarching themes in Genesis is that God loves first his creation and his, his people before we ever have a chance to do anything good or bad. So I want to remind you that's the only recap that, I, that I'm doing. You know, maybe a positive thing we can bring from Noah um, and the commentaries talk about this too, is that God promises a rainbow. He's always promised good, uh, even at the end of what seems to be really harsh and difficult. And so that is the gospel. That is good news, that he always promises good. So, yeah, I'm using my yellow legal pad because, again, my iPad, I have it here as a backup. I might look at something, but, again, my iPad has not been working for me, so I'm still old school with my uh, my le- yellow legal pad. So... Um, a couple things. If you've started doing a Bible reading plan this year, I don't know, you don't have to raise your hands, but most of those reading plans start where? So you're welcome. Uh, Suman already read a good portion of 6, 7, and 8, so maybe that's where you're at. Or if you're behind, here you've come to church and your Bible reading plan is already off to a great start. So you're welcome for that. Uh, also, flood narratives, so that this is a flood narrative. Most cultures in the world, and y'all know this, they ha- there's a flood narrative in most cultures. You can go back and look, like the, the oldest one, even older than the one in Genesis, is Gilgamesh. Maybe you studied that in school. Um, that's the oldest flood narrative. And I was looking at all the text-critical things that go on in Gilgamesh and the differences with the Genesis narrative, and I went down that rabbit hole for a little while, and I thought I was going to share some of that with you, but I'm not going to. It's, it's amazing. You can get online and look at the in, in PDF form. You can look at all of Gilgamesh. You can look at all these flood narratives because they do exist. Um, and there's great critical uh, text, critical scholarship that's been done academically, theologians, biblical scholars, all that stuff is really great. Um, but I don't really want to talk about that today. <laughs> also, 
the Noah, the Noahic saga here in Genesis, why is it that this is the most known kid's story? Like if, if I went into your house, if you have kids, there, there will be ceramic arcs with, you know, giraffe necks hanging out of them, you know, in people's homes. The Noahic, the story of Noah and the ark is the most well-known story, even with non-believers. They know the story of Noah, the animals, the ark, that there was a flood, right? I mean, you tell the story to your children, right? You read it at bedtime, maybe to your kids. And that's always been a wonder to me because it's a super terrifying story, right? Why is it that you could walk into Walmart today and find a ceramic ark probably on one of the aisles that you can take home and put in your house? It's a terrifying flood narrative when God flooded the earth because according to the scriptures, because of violence, because of corruption that was in all people that he had created. So I think that's strange. I don't have much more to say about it, but it's strange that that's one of the most well-known Bible stories. I feel like there's so many other stories in scripture that I'd want to read to my children other than Noah and the flood and the animals and the ark. I mean, there's so many. But, oh, and also, um, these are just some opening comments. Um, Also, Genesis 6... If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. But the top of Genesis 6 has um, some of the most controversial verses in the entire Bible. Um, John 1, Philippians 2 are also some of the most controversial passages in Scripture. But Genesis chapter 6 has the giants, the Nephilim that, that are talked about. And I've, over the years of pastoring, about 20 years, I've had several people come up to me and say, I know we're in the New Testament, preach, like I'd be preaching out of the New Testament, and they say, but I really want to meet with you for coffee to talk about Genesis 6. And I'd be like, so um, I'm not going to talk about Genesis 6, the beginning, uh, the Nephilim. I'm not going to say, obviously, that wasn't a uh, part that Suman read this morning. So I'm not going to talk about that at all. However, there is an amazing podcast called Blurry Creatures. Does anybody know? Oh, wow. Do you guys listen to podcasts or... Am I the only cool person? Um, so there, it's called Blurry Creatures, and I'm recommending it because I don't like recommending things like that. Like, I'll never recommend a movie to you because people have all that. I'll never recommend a TV show or lots of things I won't recommend, and I don't like recommending podcasts, but Blurry Creatures is crazy weird and interesting. And one of the reasons it started were two believers, two Christian guys we're curious about Genesis chapter 6, the Nephilim there. And they, they wanted to get together and talk about it in front of the world. What in the world could be happening in that text? And they have some pretty interesting scholarly, not so scholarly, interesting things to say about Genesis 6. So also, Jack Collins, who I've encouraged you to read his book called Reading Genesis. It's who, who I've been referring to as I've been preaching out of Genesis. He also has a little bit to say about Genesis 6 uh, and the Nephilim. I'm not going to say any more about it, but you can check out a, a podcast. Come talk to me. I've had people want to meet for coffee to talk about it. I'd be happy to talk about it with you. Controversial, though. All right. So, Noah, you're like, are you just now getting to that? Thank you. Yeah, I am. So, Noah, uh, if you back up a little bit from what we were reading uh, for the text this morning that's in your bulletin that Sumin read, in chapter 5, Noah is the son of Lamech. And 
this, he named Noah and he said about Noah, his son, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one, Noah, shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Isn't that interesting? That Lamech named his son Noah and Noah means rest. And then Lamech is thinking, great, I'm having this kid and he's going to bring all this rest to the curse that has been put on the ground by all the Adams and Eveses that have been born since the fall. Like Lamech's thinking that's what his son is going to do. It's an interesting thing because does Noah really bring the rest that we really long for or that the world needed? I don't really think so. But one of the things that we need to notice here is that as bad as things were in Genesis 6, right? Noah walked with God and it's it's amazing that there was one family um, that God was able to point, point out that was walking, and that was because of his grace. But the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence, and God was going to put an end to all flesh because of the violence. He was going to destroy, and he did. But he had a plan. God had a plan. And that plan was protracted out over about a hundred years. Noah was about 500 when God came to him and was like, this is what's going to happen. Uh, this is when people lived a long time. Would you want to live 500 years, 600 years? Ugh. Some of us maybe. I mean, there are a lot of podcasts. There is a lot of streaming. There are more videos on YouTube. It might take about 500 years to get through all of them. But Noah was 500 years old when God came. It took about 100 years for God's plan. So one of the first things I want to say about this text is that you and I need to have the long view. We talked about that at prayer already this morning at 10. Um, God has the long view, right? Because he's eternal. Uh, and so when God's plan started, even in Genesis 3, it took thousands of years to get to the incarnation of Jesus. And so even, so the application for your life today, maybe this is what you came to hear, an application from the very beginning of the Noahic saga here in Genesis, is that whatever things are going on in your life that you're like, when is God going to keep this promise? When is God going to answer my prayers? When is he going to X, Y, or Z? Maybe he has the long view in mind. You need to have the long view in mind. I think of that in relation to my own kids. You know, as I was parenting my children and I was praying for them and still do, you think, when is this going to happen? Or when will this be in their lives? When will they this? God has the long view. He's eternal. He's the one that can protract everything out. I don't really appreciate that about God, though. I don't know. Do you like the fact that God has this kind of... I mean... I guess when Noah gets all the directions, you know, about the cubits and how long and how big and all the animals and all the things that he has to do throughout the chapter, you're like, well, I would need at least 100 years to do all of that. Does that go back on? If it's, it's since, yeah, there we go. So, so, so God has a plan. It, it's protracted. It takes, you know, a long time, 100 years. And as you look at this plan unfolding with the ark, and that there's this flood coming and the animals, it is insane. It's, it's completely bonkers. Have you ever thought that Christianity sounds a little bit insane? It sounds a little bit crazy. It's a little bit bonkers. You know, that 
the God of the universe he creates, that we fall in, that he's going to incarnate and come and become flesh, that, you know, all this, it's, it's crazy when you really start talking to somebody about it who's never really thought about Christianity. It's like, cuckoo. And this whole thing with Noah, I mean, don't you, if you were Noah, wouldn't you think, God, uh, okay, it's nuts, it's insane. But God's ways, his plans are not the way we can think about it. The gospel is not intuitive to you. I said that already. It, it seems, right, because it seems like we can do this ourselves. We have agency. We're human people in the modern world. We can save ourselves. We can be good enough. We have all that we need. We have all the self-help. We have all the literature. We have all the, the websites and podcasts. Why do we need this insane thing? Well, the gospel, the good news, even what God's planning in saving Noah's family, it might seem crazy to us, but it's how God's going to do it. And we need to get on board. We need to get on board. So those are some of my thoughts as I look at the, the Noahic saga here in Genesis, that, you know, the long, the long view that it seems sort of crazy. So in the final moments of talking about this text, um, I want to just think about some of the some of the real applications for us today. So maybe if you've gone away from me for the last five minutes, you can come back now because I'd like to talk about maybe the modern world applications to the Noahic saga here and the very beginning of Scripture in Genesis. So one of the quick applications that I think we'd like to make from the story of Noah and his family and how God shuts them into the ark and all the ways that this story unfolds is we want to we want to be like Noah, right? We want to we want to be the one that stands out as good, uh, and I'd already mentioned that that a lot of commentators talk about that. Um, however, again, that doesn't bring hope. So I want you to, if nothing else today, this text and no other text in Scripture also is encouraging you to be like David. They're not encouraging you to be like Noah because. We can't be like them, and you don't want to really be like David. And Noah had his sin and faults as well. So the scriptures aren't encouraging us to be like these characters. So if that's how you and I come at scripture, don't. I I need to tell myself that. But here's one of the applications of the Noahic saga. God, in your life and mine, is long-suffering, and he will go to huge unfathomable links to have you, to love you, to protect you, to have you as one of his own. God of the universe, the hovering God of the universe, will go. the, the links he went to save Noah and his family, those are the types of things that God will do to have you. And he did that in Christ. To become a baby in a manger, to, I mean, we've celebrated, we're still in Christmas time, I, I kind of made us talk about Epiphany Sunday today. That's, that's my weirdness coming in. But um, God went to incredible lengths to have you. Noah's story shows you today that God will do whatever it takes to have you. And he's already done that. But he will continue to be at every turn, wherever you turn, he's going to be there going to incredible lengths, cubics and and. Whatever it takes, he's going to do it. So that's one of the applications of this, that you should be walking away going, wow, all that he did to save this one family is exactly what he will do to save me. And he's done it in Christ. 
this text, because God in all the craziness of humans being violent and corrupt, he does save and give second chances to all of humanity. In fact, Noah shows that God gives infinite chances. I mean, the 70 times 70 that Jesus talks about how you forgive, I mean, God is illustrating infinite chances to us. So wherever you are in your, your life in Jesus, and maybe you don't know Jesus, please, please come to him. You have infinite chances. He's giving you, he's giving you chance after chance to repent, to be, to be loved by him, to hear his voice through scripture, through other people in your life. God is the God of second, third. He's, his mercies are new every morning, I think is what Wade preached on last Sunday, right? His mercies are new every morning. Noah teaches that. His story teaches that his mercy, God's mercies are new every morning. So you may be thinking, well, God is done with me. Or God is done with our church. Or God, he's finite. No, he is the God of chances in Christ, infinite. The Lord has built the ark of the gospel for, and this might sound cheesy or, or that I'm, you're having to kind of make the Noah story fit the God. No, it, the truth of the matter is the gospel is like, it, it's like the ark. But it holds more than just one family. It holds all God's people. And that ark is Christ himself. What he's done on the cross, who he was, who he is, as he intercedes on behalf of his people day and night for all eternity. So the flood narrative reminds us of the gospel. Christ is the new Noah. And I was looking for commentaries that would talk about this idea that Noah is not the point of this story. All of Scripture, including Noah, including this part of Genesis, is pointing toward Christ. And that's something that I'm going to try to say every time I get the privilege of sitting with you in Scripture, is that every part of Scripture is just breathing, screaming Jesus Christ to us. Noah is screaming about the real one who would bring rest Noah means rest. But the real Noah, the new Noah, is Jesus. And I was, I was looking for somebody who would say that because, you know, I was kind of thinking those things and I'm not published well enough. And so I'm like, there's got to be somebody who's saying that, you know, Noah, you know, really projects toward Jesus. And Jesus is this, the new Noah who came and gathered all of his people onto the cross, you know, himself. So, you know, the internet is very great. There's this new organization. I think it started, in, and it's a, it's a real organization. It's called 1517.org online, but they're an organization that started in 2021. Um, look it up. It's, it's pretty interesting. Why would it be called 1517? Anybody? Right, that's the beginning of the Reformation of the church. It's where it's the year that Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the door and Wittenberg and all that. So... An interesting website, but this is what Chad Bird, it's a great name also, uh, since Noah had saved all the birds also. <laughs> I know, I have dad jokes, okay? They're just, it's, they just come out of me. But Chad Bird says this very recently. It was the new and better Noah, 
wet with the Jordan's, with Jordan's water, upon whom the Spirit's dove landed, marking Jesus the true man of rest. He is the one who finally fulfills Lamech's messianic hopes. For he comes to fulfill all righteousness for Lamech, for Noah, for you, for me. But his way is not a mere rerun of the old. For if Noah condemned the world by what he did, then Christ was condemned for the world. In the Jordan, Christ stepped into the place of what children's books call bad people. People like us, people like you and me. The water that trickled off the back of Jesus in the Jordan in his baptism foreshadowed a greater baptism with which he was to be baptized. The baptism in which the world's sins were poured out upon Jesus and which he was flooded with divine wrath. The bad person that you are, that I am, Christ became. My pettiness, my huge ego, our selfishness, our the world be damned as long as I'm okay attitude in this modern world, all our badness engulfed the good son of God, flooded Jesus. The apple of the father's eye was so filled with our rottenness that the father turned away from Christ, as it were, so that he might have us. I love this take on Noah and how Christ really fulfills what Lamech wanted for his son. He was, it was foreshadowing what Christ would do. And as we sit in this room, Jesus is calling, get on the ark of myself. Get to me, Jesus is calling. Whether you're a believer or not, he's calling even today for you to, for you to come to him. For you to have hope in Him. Some of you are like, Tom, I'm on the ark. I get it. I'm in church today listening to you. I'm here. I get it. I'm on the ark. And I get that. Do you feel seasick sometimes though? Like as a believer, you're like, I'm on. I, I'm with you, Jesus, but I'm really seasick. And when is this thing ever going to hit dry land? When am I ever going to get off? When is there ever going to be an olive branch? When is this going to be over? Right? Indelible Grace Church, Jesus will get us there. He will. He will get the right person to stand up here and be your senior pastor. He'll get that person. He'll take care of all the things that you're worried about. Let's let's get in the boat of Jesus. Let's get into the rest that the new Noah, Jesus Christ, is for his people. Would you pray with me? And then we'll have communion. Lord Jesus, we know that you're calling, even in this very old text, a a narrative that is in all cultures. But for us today, Lord Jesus, might we hear your voice by your spirit, that we would come to you flooded with our sinfulness. Perhaps we're just flooded with life, the burdens of all that we're having to do in this life, that we're just flooded by so many things, that you, Lord Jesus, would flood us with your grace and your love, that we would get, get on board with you and find hope for our lives, for our families, for this world. Do all your holy will in us in this moment, even as we come and partake of the sacrament 
being reminded that you, Jesus, are the ark of rest for your people. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.